This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science. Hey everyone, it's Madison. I just wanted to remind you all that we are having all sorts of great events here for February. On February 23rd, we are having a live recording of a Lila's Lessons special episode uh, on pokey prey, prey animals, and on February 27th, Pokemon Day, we are doing a live Q&A, so please send in your questions. You can email them to us or submit them at the form in the show notes. Also, you can find it on our social media. So, thanks everyone. Love you all. You've journeyed long and far to this distant world in search of lost knowledge. You found the temple, but search for a missing tome. Quick, roll an investigation check. 18! Impressive! You search a few rooms and there it is, hidden in a compartment behind a throne. You open the tome and begin looking at the magical script. Roll an arcana check. Natural 20! Success! Now it's time to unlock all the knowledge of... Ben Richton's Guide to Monsters and Lore. Welcome, everyone. We are three of the 10, 11, I don't know. Maybe a dozen. Uh, Cast members on the Pika Science Podcast channel, which is a podcast channel that originally focused solely on Pokemon, but we have many other shows now and about to add a few more, hopefully. Uh, Ben Rigdon's guide is Ben's baby, Ben and my baby here, uh, focusing on D&D. Uh, and then I'm going to let them introduce themselves really quick. My name is Madison. I'm the executive producer and one of the co-founders of the program. And so uh, thanks for coming. If you like Pokemon, we'll have another one. I think it's in here too, isn't it? Yeah, I think we have I think we're two the next, more we're the panels. Next, like, three panels. Yeah, they're all in this room. Yeah, so. Look at that. Okay, See, I was there. about to say, if any of you all play Pokemon Go, Porygon Community Day is happening as we speak. I am not doing it right now because I'm up here. Also, so all you Pokemon people, you guys missed our last panel? You didn't even get the... Oh, I don't right. know what you're talking about. I'm doing it right now. So like, you yeah. were there. They were there. Appreciate you. All right, so here's... Uh, I'm going to introduce... Uh, I'm going to have let each of you introduce. I'll let you go first. Okay, yes. Uh, hello, hello. My name is Ben. I am the uh, one of the newest cast members on Pika Science Podcast. I just joined in May of last year, so it's been seven or eight months or so. Um, and I am currently a PhD student in cultural studies at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. So I just drove here last night in a snowstorm for seven hours, and it was very Woo! treacherous. But I'm here. I'm not catching any Porygons for all of your sake. Right after this, I will be. <laughs> so, and who else do we have? Uh, hello. Oh, I don't wait, know. Yours is off. Yeah, mine's off. This shows how much I know about D&D, the fact that uh, my mic is off, because I clearly can't. Uh, provide proper insight for it. Um, Listen, hi. we're doing our best. Yeah. Uh, hello, if you can hear me. I don't know if that's on or off. But... It's on now. It's on. I'm just that loud, guys. All right. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, I am. My name is Anaru. Uh, I am a current MBA student at the University of Pittsburgh. I'm the econ guy. So if you're going to the econ panel later, it'll please be. Please come. Please come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, please come, because I'm uh, very, very um, self-conscious about people showing up. So I need people to show up. Um, <laughs> My humor level is like this. My mood is like this. In fact, my emotional state is like this. It's like a it's like a ditto's face. So, um, I'm, I also provide humor in my economics things that have various degrees of success. Um, and uh, I also uh, DM run my own podcast. It's a Pokemon Mystery Dungeon TTRPG. 
Uh, that, I made, all like, Ooh. I made the system from scratch, and by scratch, I mean it's totally busted, and my players break it all the time. Um, <laughs> so you can check that out. It's called Not a Scratch, wherever you listen to uh, podcasts. That's my plug. I promise I won't plug too much um, <laughs> until the economics one, because I run that one. Uh, and I, I think that's, I don't know, this, that's about it. D&D Monsters are cool, and uh, <laughs> thumbs up to uh, what... They do. Okay, that's, a, that's about all I got. Appreciate your. I'm here for more support, guys. So I'm just gonna. I mean, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun that we all have our different backgrounds. So mine, mine is a cognitive neuropsychology, and then I'm finishing my third master's in, in an education administration right now. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. like we all have our different backgrounds in the cast. It's really fun because like we'll do. Uh, we were here for GalaxyCon a few weeks. Not you guys, me and. Brittany and Lana over here, yeah. and uh, this person right. Here. Yeah, this person right here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Brittany's like a, our healthcare expert. And Lila knows absolutely nothing about healthcare. And I was like, this is, this, I, I have no purpose in this panel. <laughs> well, sorry, Lila's 10. They're laughing because Lila's 10. She's my daughter. She makes she her family know friendly. She anything show, about healthcare. Where she talks about biological adaptations and conservation. Brilliant kid. Uh, but she was like, I don't know anything about healthcare. She's <laughs> honestly the smartest one on the show. I'm not uh, okay, you know what? She honestly, is. she probably is. <laughs> IQ We're just out here. here. Like, she keeps us at least an educational. She, she keeps us humble. She's definitely the wisest out of all of us. <laughs> The, when you're 10 year olds wiser than you. So, Madison, what do you have? Uh, so, we turn aside and I'll, I'll explain it. We have a game here. So, Walt is the D&D, uh, the show Ben Richten's Guide to Monsters and Lore, with new logo coming. Oh, forthcoming. Forthcoming. I'm excited. Uh, all you gotta do is you gotta follow us here during this panel. If you send a picture to either, either this Facebook page, Pika Science, or our Twitter, formerly known as Twitter. Hey, if Elon <laughs> can dead name trans people, I can dead name him his website whatever <laughs> so uh, we have a game here if you send a picture of us presenting this panel at any point during you are entered we got these free hobbit sized dice it's an entire hobbit sized dice set it's so cute They're it's so cute dice. <laughs> and it, they could the dice goblins are all tech- <laughs> like texting right now <laughs> Uh, warning, uh, please and please no, do not swallow your dice, chew your dice, especially these dice, because they're uh, more... Choking hazard. Yeah, choking hazard. They, so. They're a toy. Not meant to be eaten. Um, by the way, I am team anti-crunch, by the way, so, you know, hate on this. <laughs> How right, so dare you? The next okay. one. This is the diversity of opinions here. That's uh, what, so like. while Anna Rube does not want to mercilessly promote his other uh, his other work... Madison does. I do want to mercilessly promote... Uh, so I, Ben and I do the show here because Ben is a cultural studies expert, does a lot about cultures around the world, and I've been DMing for nine years now. Uh, so it's our... This is my stream, the Flaming Dice podcast. Uh, there's only like four episodes I've ever taken the time to put on iTunes, but to be fair, all 160 are saved on a flash drive. I just, I just haven't done it. They're out there. It's, it's time, you know, like who, who does that? Uh, our current game, though, if you want to watch some, some craziness we play every Wednesday, uh, is definitely not PG. I'm going to warn you now, it's definitely not PG. Our current game, my players have no idea that they are trapped in a video game and have been trying to figure this out for seven months why no one in this world has memories past nine months prior. Uh, why the NPCs like, talking loose? This is like the most nastiest campaign I've ever run. Uh, one of the players did finally figure it out last week. It's taken nine months to figure it out, and she was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And she hadn't been here for like four months, so like the fact that she came back in and like that night was like, this is a video game, I figured it out. Uh, but it's a fun campaign if you ever like to watch shenanigans and a lot of mm-hmm. people making definitely not PG jokes. No. And a Our lot show of the also is a PG. Here. Well, we try to be PG thirteen. Good. Yeah. Yeah. We try to be good. The rest of Pika Science is PG. We're not. Yeah. I'm the baby. We're not. Yeah. All right, you ready? <laughs> All right. So let's talk so. about some 
the monster some Pokemon right here. <laughs> monster manual of Earth. So, let's just start off with some primer. What are monsters? Um, coming from a cultural studies background, I also very much love horror. I love monsters. Um, trying to get into that in an academic sense. The Center for Monster Studies just opened in University of Santa Barbara. It's somewhere in Southern California, one of the big California schools. But it's a real thing. Um, so what do we got? There's a scholar named Jeffrey Jerome Cohen who wrote like the definitive definitional text of monsters. Monster Culture, Seven Theses. This is in 1996. So his seven definitions of what makes a monster a monster, cultural body, and these are kind of broad, vague, you know, parameters, right? Always escapes from people, a harbinger of category crisis. It's hard to define exactly what it is. You see a monster and you're like, it's this, it's that, I don't know, it's confusing me. Um, it dwells at the gates of difference. So a lot of times people see something, they're like, I, that's not me, but it is something. So monsters are always at that border. Uh, Pleases the borders of the possible. Another element that's like, okay, that is defying the laws of physics. That monster doesn't make any sense. That is not from this earth. Yes. Uh, fear of the monster is really a kind of desire. I think that's a provocative statement. And the monster stands at the threshold of becoming. So take those what you will. If you want to read the seven theses in full, if you just Google it, it's like a free PDF. You can just go find it. We also spent the entire like first episode like for 40 minutes just talking about this. <laughs> See, we had to set it up, though, because there's a lot of episodes that stem from this, you yeah. know? Important to know. So what is the first monster? We got the Simurg. I do want to point out. Yeah, first of all, any of y'all know what that is? <laughs> None of them know. Great. Good. Good job. Good job. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> I want to point out, this monster is not in 5E. So when we were trying to fit it into DMing, Madison was like, what do I do with this? <laughs> um, we so had to we find an insert, a, right? Yeah, we had to find an insert. It's from a third-party text. So, Simurg. Let me show you what it looks like first. Um, the picture on your left... Yes, is from something called the Fiend Folio, which is like a D&D fan-made publication from like way back when, like 50 years ago. Um, it looks ridiculous, you know, a macaw with a wolf head. Um, and then the picture on the right is maybe a more folkloric, traditional conception of what a Simurg looks like, human head, the, you know, winding feathers. Yes. So... And I think we've established well on the show, too, that D&D &D likes to take monsters and actual folklore and then just be like, well, I'm going to add this. Yes. I'm going to add this. Just add some elements. I'm going to add this. Add some personality traits. Sometimes they're like, okay, that thing was evil in real life, but actually it's benevolent in D&D. &D. Or it has wings now. We'll get to that in a second. So <laughs> what is this thing? Uh, Simurg, Senmurg, Simorg, Simorv. Um, all sorts of spellings that kind of got changed. You know, a lot of it is anglicized from different cultures. Um, it is a mythical bird-mammal hybrid. This comes out of Persian mythology and literature, so we're thinking like where Iran is. Uh, often shows it large enough to pick up an elephant or a whale. Um, so it's very large. In D&D, that is not quite the case. It's more, I wouldn't say human-sized, but it's not exactly big enough to pick up a whale. Um, in folklore, uh, often shown with a human face, but a dog head. You saw that in the picture. And it is associated with benevolence, fertility, healing, the natural well-being of Earth, not with snakes. Mortal enemy, snakes. They don't get along. I don't know why. That's just it's like Indiana the lore. Jones. 
Yeah. <laughs> Simmerick Jones. Um, <laughs> um, do want to point out too, distinct mythological creature, despite people thinking that it is the same as some other mythology birds. So the phoenix, the huma, the rock, the Simurgh is its own thing. It's doing its own thing. Don't don't mix it up. Um, ooh, skipping. So where does this thing come from? This is par- part of what we do in our Monsters and Lore podcast to try to find the origin of monsters. You know, who came up with it in the first place? Often and then we talk D&D. Yeah, we try to talk D&D. And then I end the episode with giving you advice for how to run it in your game. Some D- And, you know, the last monster we'll get to... That was the most fun to DM. You'll see. You'll see. <laughs> um, so we're usually looking back like thousands and thousands of years of cultural origin. This one comes to us from an epic poem called The Book of Kings in its na- uh, native language. It's the Shanama. This is written by the poet Ferdowsi around the year 1000. So we're entering the new millennia. And he was like, I have this bird. And people were like, OK. So the most famous appearance comes from this book, and in that story, it is about the epic hero Rostam. A simmer comes in and tries to instruct someone how to perform a C-section in order to save Rostam's birth. I don't know what that looks like in the context of the story, but the simmer is there performing an abortion. I don't know. Every, not an abortion, a C-section. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, not an abortion. <laughs> every, every lady in the audience goes, yeah, of course that's And every guy goes, wait, they had C-sections back then? Back in the year 1000? <laughs> I don't know what that looks like. See, we just said healthcare panel. That was not here. That was a different, different con. Um, oh, it was so good. It was so good. So good. The Simurgh does show up again, like several hundred years later, in a story called the Conference of the Birds. This title of this story comes directly from the Quran, and so you will notice throughout this panel, a lot of these monsters have religious background. A lot of it comes from religious lore and stories. And in that story, the Simurgh is used as a metaphor for God within this like subsect of Islam called Sufism, which is the phenomenon of mysticism. So the Simurgh is showing up, you know, in Iranian culture here and there, performing C-sections, being God, looking like a wolf in a macaw. Kind of fun. I kind of want, so my girlfriend's Iranian. I kind of want us to both get this tattooed right here. <laughs> but get, get like the really bad D&D. No, no, no. Yeah. I, like... <laughs> uh, do, we, do we have time to do some DMing tips with this? Yeah, do you have some? Yeah. So in, the, in our episode, we did talk about, uh, my suggestion was to run it in an evil campaign. Mm-hmm. Where your players mm-hmm. are the bad guys, and because have the Simurgh is benevolent, right? Like they're trying to steal something from a temple, and have this like show up and help whoever's protecting the temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Nothing's more fun and more frustrating for players than when their enemies are getting healed every turn. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's a lot of fun to DM it that way because they're like, wait a minute, and you're like, oh. I don't know, guys. I'm sorry. I didn't do that. Your cleric's doing it. It's just doing the same thing. Like, it's not It's not unfair, guys. Mm-hmm. Using their own medicine against them. Oh, sorry. Oh, awful. What's next? The marrow. So here's our beautiful... This is a Celtic mermaid. We got the male and female versions of this. As you can see, the male version is horrific. Just awful to look at. And the female one is what I kind of what you would think of as a traditional mermaid. Very Ariel-esque. Very pretty. Very, you're like, yes, probably has a beautiful singing voice. Um, so and this it, comes... Then it eats you. It then eats you. See, only if you try to escape. Only if you try, only if you try to escape. <laughs> so the marrow comes from the uh, Celtic folklore. The word comes from the Irish words for sea and maid. If you know anything about Irish language, whatever is written on the paper is not how you pronounce it. So that's what it's written as. You know, that's marrow. 
You wouldn't think so, perhaps. And some of these other words in here, the magical red cap, it's not pronounced like Colleen Ruth, despite that's how it's spelled, just so we're aware. Um, so like I said, male, repulsive, female, exceptionally beautiful, to the point that they're like, they don't even want lovers from their own species, so they take human lovers into their underwater lairs. And like Madison pointed out, if the humans try to escape, the mermaids do in fact try to eat them. <laughs> they are super temperamental. Um, they're prone to fits of rage, you know, like especially if you try to go against their desires or wishes. They try to create storms, destroy ships. They're very sea monstery in that way. And the other thing about them, very, very similar to the Irish story of Selkies. So they have their little magical cap that helps them, you know, go between land and sea. If their cap is stolen, then they're, they can't go back to the ocean. Same thing with Selkies, like the seal-human hybrid where they have a skin they put on. I feel like that also applies to other animals. I think, what is the, what is the show on Netflix? Disenchantment, yes, with a bear skin. Thank you. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's very Selkie. That so show. that's that's a very something you find in Irish or Celtic folklore. So <laughs> like that between human and animal border. That's something that shows up a lot. What else do we got here? The Fomorians. The Fomorians. How do we feel about these? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. I mean, we definitely sure. don't get we don't get them the way they are in D and D for sure. But oh no, oh no. I'm trying. I want to like show the pictures before we talk about what it is. I feel like the picture on the left is just confounding. I'm not sure what is happening here. That horse looks like it's dead. There's a fish with legs. Whatever. Um, but the one on the right, I think, is closer to how D&D stylizes Fomorians. So, what are they? Supernatural giant race of people, or giant people. From Irish mythology, they, in folklore, tend to come from underneath things. So, under the sea, under the earth, they just, like, grow out of the ground and appear and take things over and... I don't know what that like would have daisies? looked like. Yeah, like daisies. Like if daisies had like clubs the and teeth. The haunts are popping up like daisies. Yeah, yeah. Not good for humans, right? <laughs> so <laughs> in Irish folklore, there is this idea that there were six groups of, I want to say people, but it's more just like humanoid beings. That well, a lot of them are giants settled. too. Yeah, a lot of them are giants. So they settle Ireland across several centuries. The Fomorians are one of these groups. Their opponents are the Tuathdan, and that is the, another mythological race of Irish giants. Um, it turns out that they have like an epic book of all of this history of the wars and the settlers. Uh, the Tuathdan defeat the Fomorians, so there's a lot of antagonism there. And on that note, the Fomorians are seen to be as much more chaotic, destructive, not respecting nature, um, just here to cause a scene and get out, destroy people's livelihoods. Uh, the Twath Day are opposite of that, respectful, pro-growth, pro-nature, you see. Pro-choice. Pro-choice, yeah. <laughs> not, not performing <laughs> season, whatever. <laughs> that's pro-choice. I was gonna, well that's, yeah. I was gonna yeah, make a joke summer, and I was like, wait, that's the opposite. Like, they're yeah. yeah, they're, good, they're, good they're great friends. friends. They're great friends. Great friends. Didn't know birth stories were gonna come up in this panel a lot. <laughs> you can we're see. we're not doing Greek mythos. <laughs> well, Speaking of, you can see that this difference of battling like titans and gods and giants is something that does show up in other mythologies, such as Greek. So we have the Olympians versus the titans, right? That's something in Norse mythology as well. 
turns out that it's also something from Celtic mythology. When we talked about, when we did the episode, that uh, there are traces of a lot of these stories that moved all the way as far as we said India, right? Like, oh, yeah. They, they, oh, yeah. W- when we trace them uh, through cultural studies, we can see that these ideas and concepts like progressed across. And I, and I think that's important because you and I talk about this a lot, mm-hmm. that it's important to realize that the idea of globalization is not new. Oh, it's not just, even close. It, right. and, and like we've always kind of had it. It's just that they move faster now than it did hundreds of years, you know, thousands of years ago. But mm-hmm. we've always had some form of globalization because we see, and I know you, we talked about this in the last panel too, which is Pokemon mythologies, that stories tend to show up across cultures where there's similarities here, there, there, there. It's almost like the exact same story constantly. And it's one of those things where, like, well, yeah, ideas spread because people have always interacted with other people. Mm-hmm. I know this myth that globalization is from the 90s. I've heard that before. That's not true. That's so, so untrue. So keep that in your mind. Um, it's an excuse yeah. to take away workers' rights. We're just going to say that. Workers' Ooh, rights. Workers' rights. Workers' rights. Workers' rights. Um, so you will see that with one of the monsters later on in this panel about traveling especially from like southern and southeast asia up to europe that is like a literal thing that happens so we'll get to that in a second i but we the last before that one we got one more of this guy oh no go back do you have something else to yeah, say yeah, about yeah, fomorians yeah. Yeah, so we talked about so in, uh, for whatever reason gary gygax and the D team while they've become very uh thoughtful in the way that they've approached lineages nice and, and, and player characters. Um, and, well, I, I think I think that's the best way to say it. You and I talked about this, too, when we did the Elf episode. Oh, yeah. The concept of uh, that we often like to treat the others or like they're, they're homogenous rather than being, you know, heterogeneous. Um, and mm-hmm. D&D tends, is starting to do that with lineages and player characters, which is great. Yes. But one thing that we see is they like to shoehorn monsters into this idea that they're all slavers. Yes. Uh, constantly. Yes. It's something the, that like, yeah. constantly is being pushed in, which I'm not going to say, like, I mean, obviously humans have had that, those experiences over thousands and thousands of years. We see it in mythos, we see it in mythology, we see it in stories and folklore, too. Uh, but we talked about in the show, uh, because D&D pushes these guys being, like, slaving smaller humanoids, mm-hmm. we gave an entire um, encounter focused on, like, how you do it in an underground oh. battle. Yes. Uh, like rescuing. It was like rescuing enslaved people. But the way these things yeah. fight, we talked about because they, they plan and strategize, and it talked about them using like mushrooms around them and poisonous mushrooms. We talked about like yes. under the. Uh, oh, because they were, they were in like a, ca- a cavern, ca- cavern. So you yeah, were in like a very confined space. So we yeah. talked about like using confined spaces because it has like a, mm-hmm. I think it's like a 15 foot reach. Yes. So having a large monster giant. with a 15 yeah. foot reach allows you to then like get it in a tight space and you're just hitting all the players at once. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I know, I'm a mean kind DM. Of I'm a really she is mean a DM. really mean DM. Yeah. As, as my other partner walks in, he can be like, yeah, she does this to us when we play with our kids. <laughs> no, I'm telling Sorry, you. my five-year-old daughter, that, that, uh, that ghost is going to kill you right now. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Sorry. <laughs> so, it turns out, speaking of Fomorians and giants and things, there's another one of these races in Celtic and Irish mythology, one of the six settling groups. Um, another one of those words too that is not just pronounced furbolg despite that's what it says um, I'm not going to try to pronounce it correctly but it's not furbolg so, and they're not cows Matt Mercer 
That's right. So, Mercer, we love you for all the lovely things you do, but you change the world into cows. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? So, where does these come from? Um, I was alluding to the Book of Invasions earlier. That is that big folkloric book that has all of this history in it. So, we're talking about the fourth group of settlers here. There's out of six. I believe the Fomorians were earlier. I don't remember if they were the second or third one, but earlier than this. So, long story short, these are the descendants of the people of Nemed. So, that was the third group. After they were defeated in one of the wars in the Book of Invasions, they all fled to Britain, Greece, and the north. So the Northerners became the Twelfth Day, which is the people who defeated the Fomorians, and then the group that went to Greece becomes the not pronounced Firbolg. So they return to Ireland, and then that's where we get this. What does this name mean? It directly translates to men of bags, which is a very strange, you're like, why? What does it have to do with anything? Scholars have decided that this could mean while they were in Greece, they were enslaved, and so they had to carry, you know, soil and materials on their shoulders in bags. They wear baggy pants, or it's a metaphor that they were, like, baggy and bulging with battle and war fury. All of those sound super out there and outlandish, but it's, like, the best we have. Because after this history and after they came back to Ireland, there's, like, not really much more mention of them in Irish folklore. They're like, and that was that. They came back from Greece, and here they are. And everyone's like, okay. So this is the best we have for what, where that name came from. It's like when your sibling like leaves the family, and yeah. then they come back like 10 years later, and no one talks about it. Yeah, and they're just like, okay, yeah, nothing happened. It's, it's chill. It's fine. <laughs> Do you remember that time when, my, when, uh, when Jenny left us for 10 years? We don't talk about we that. We don't talk about that. Just like Bruno. <laughs> we don't talk about Bruno. Or the furballs. Um, any of you nerds out there, might notice that this creature was featured in Campaign 2 of Critical Role. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> the way that d and I will say the way that D&D stylized this is they really just went off about it. I know they have all different colors of skin. Not just like human colors of skin, like pink, purple, blue. Their hair can be similar. They kind of made them more childlike. Um, very, very different from the actual Celtic folklore. So. And then Mercer made it a cow. Which is really off. But I guess you can take liberties. I guess, I guess. There's not really copyright for folklore, so. What else we got? The Manticore. Oh, okay. I put all that work in the title screen. All this work into this title screen. (laughs) Manticore. I hope most of you have heard about the Manticore because I feel like this is a much more common mythological creature. Um, I think in the podcast episode we did about the Manticore, I listed a bunch of different places it's shown up. It is from a water park. It is a roller coaster. It is in an adventure time. I think it was in My Little Pony. Like, <laughs> the Manticore is wherever people decide they can fit, they're going to put it in there. We haven't gotten a Pokemon Manticore yet. Why not? I don't think so. Get on that game three. Honoru, do you know any Manticore Pokemon? Not as far as I can think of. The only Manticore that pops into my head, which I don't think is actually looking like this is in the Percy Jackson series. Oh, yes. Yeah, there's probably yes. an actual manticore, not this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's be clear. The one with the wings is from D&D. That's like D&D stylized. Question? It's a monster hunter. Monster hunter? Monster hunter. I, mean, I would hope it is. Yeah, honestly. Um, that's a side. Um, 
Monster Hunter is one of those games that I really talked to Madison about about this podcast. I was like, Nintendo is doing something with monsters, and it's not Pokemon, and it's not Digimon, even though it's not Nintendo. But I've never played Monster Hunter, so we never did that. But well, we talked about doing Final Fantasy too. I'd love yeah. to do that at some point because Final Fantasy does the same thing, where it's like, oh, well, yeah. this is your, this is a deity of some. Of some kind, <laughs> from gonna, some now culture. You're fight it. <laughs> yeah, um, but we settled on D and D. So um, the can picture like, on can like can they do that next time? Can they do like the actual biblical angels? Can I fight those? A biblically, biblically accurate angel in Final Fantasy. I, I want that. Someone, have, someone's gonna shout out that actually happened. I have no idea. Have any thinking, of you seen the biblically that. accurate uh, Magneton? <laughs> do y'all know what I'm talking about? Anyway. Um, <laughs> So the picture on the left is what Manticore comes like out of actual illustrated folklore from thousands of years ago. The one on the right is the D&D stylization, which has wings, which is not how it used to look. So where does this thing come from? In every translation, Nobody knows. every language, no, we do know. Uh, <laughs> in every language, it means man-eater. So we're talking in Indian language, in Middle Eastern language, in European language, in American language. All of them mean man-eater. So this thing, if it shows up, it's going to be eating you. Um, it is a four-legged beast, chimeric, meaning a bunch of animals stuck together. So lion body, scorpion tail, often a human head. I put in there, modern designs often have wings. Thanks, Gary Gygax, the creator of D&D, because he is literally one of the first people who did that. And I don't know why. Maybe he just thought, oh, this thing should have wings. It could fly. So that was his idea. Uh, the tail often has launchable spikes as well. That is definitely something that shows up in the D&D stylization, too. Origin of this thing, this is where we were just talking about Indian and South Asian culture just shooting on up to Europe. So guy named Theseus in Greece, Greek physician of the Persian court, he wrote a whole book about ancient India around 5th century BC. Here's the kicker. He did not go to India at all. Never. Other people went to India, came to this guy's court, and were like, we saw some things there. Kind of cool. And he was like, tell me more. And then wrote a book about it. And so we don't really know what the Manticore actually is based on for real. Something in India looks like this, I think, maybe. Um, Indian lions. Yeah, Indian lions, well, perhaps. Well, they do have lions on the Indian subcontinent. But do they have scorpion tails? But maybe, well, because think about it. So like, the tail has the bushy end on it. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't know, you might think of it as, like, maybe it looked like a stinger. Fair point. And they didn't have be, lions like, the in Greece, you could so. it to if you had never seen a lion. Yeah, he yeah. probably never saw a lion. And we've talked about that in a lot of the Pokescience stuff, too, about a way to mythos. A lot of the, there are connections to actual living creatures to a lot of mythologies, for sure. Yes. And folklore yes. studies, too. Which is what we were saying with the definition of monster. Oftentimes, it's just people seeing new animals that actually exist, and they're like, what I mean, do we do with this? Have you seen the eye eye? Have you seen a platypus? <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. Um, the, to possibly give one of 40 billion different explanations of what a manticore is. Uh, and I'm going to dabble a little bit into Hindu mythology here. Ooh, um, so uh, we, because uh, we, I'm Hindu, shocker, um, we in Hinduism uh, have a god called Vishnu, who is basically the preserver god. Uh, we got three big ones, and then everybody else kind of works under them. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good little hierarchy sort of thing. Um, and Vishnu, sort of similar to, I guess, the closest comparison, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is Jesus, in the sense that um, if I'm correct, Jesus has an opportunity, or at some time in the future, he'll come back, rapture, big mm -hmm. problem situation. Mm -hmm. uh, Vishnu has that, except he does it ten times, and we've done it nine times. 
So there have been nine calamities of some sort that is problem enough that uh, Vishnu looks down and is like, ah, shucks, I gotta fix this problem. Comes down and comes in some sort of avatar. And the fourth avatar is a half lion, half man Perhaps creature. Perhaps Which is loosely... If you look at it, squint, take off your glasses, look at it with one eye, and kind of <laughs> vaguely look at this. it. You can see the yeah. Manticore-esque in there. So there is a chance that it's that. Or you I just saw it. a Bengal tiger, and then through the you know through the game of telephone, it turned into a Manticore. Well, yes. there's lions there, too. And yes, yeah. That. And then so I think yeah. the eight, those lions mm-hmm. there. That would make more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but keynote for you, the, the, the actual rapture, the, set, the ending of uh, you know, Revelations there, is actually not written by anyone who had anything to do with the any of the earlier parts of the Bible, uh, it was added much, much later. Much, I, much later. My, uh, so my, my uncle is a... Um, so I, the language I speak is Tamil, which is one of the oldest languages, period. Um, and so he's a, I guess, philosopher, a list out of here of Tamil. Uh, and he, he likes to joke around that like a lot of the ideas that come from Indian mythology just get stolen elsewhere and then we steal other ideas. So yeah, yeah. That's why, you know, everybody's got a Globalism. Everybody's got a rapture. Everybody's got a parting yeah. of the rivers thing. India's got the same sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, of like insert God here parts the rivers so that it can they can accomplish does, some tasks. Does the yeah. does the Hindi rapture involve uh, bugs like having sex with people? <laughs> well, look at me. If you didn't read it, that's on you. I don't think so. Though, if not. that starts happening, I will let you know. I will, I will, yeah, I will note that down. I mean, that, that's okay, that, that entire book is like you're like, wait, what? We'll send out like a full cast message yeah. if that's going on. Yep. Yep. If I notice that, I will let you know via Discord. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, I gonna, do, don't want to concern you or anything. Activated. I think the rapture started. Um, don't ask what my neighbors are doing, but they're doing something. Listen, okay, I never associated hentai with bugs. I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of my life. Anyway. Hey, yeah, so the manticore. Hey right, hey yeah, ben. the manticore. No. Boydie, Brittany, and I have some treats for you. Stop. <laughs> hey, Ben, so the manticore. Yeah, let's continue talking yeah, about Yeah, the manticore. Yeah. I love this. Um, <laughs> the only other thing I would really love to note about this manticore, um, <laughs> that description from Tezius is the same description that has persisted up into the 21st century. So I think that's very cool because usually when we see monsters they're always shape-shifting this that we take this element away we take we add this one pretty much the manticore has stayed the same for this long which is unique uh so we did talk it you're gonna keep doing that to me aren't you i am can you not do that (laughs) i love you i'm just giving you a um excited i know i know we're in different generations your generation doesn't do this one but mine does no, I do this one. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, we're a different generation. One. No, you guys aren't, aren't you? No, don't you? I, I don't know how to do that one. What, what, I don't even know how to do it. <laughs> this, this one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that. <laughs> no, I don't do uh, that. So anyways, uh, in the show that we talked about a good manticore encounter where uh, we said it could be like a, a night thing where they're because they have pack tactics oh yes they we hunt said in using packs. them using them to attack a party because even if it's a they're a lower level creature but having like six of these things dive bomb and pick up your players and like toss them at night mm-hmm. in a forest mm-hmm. uh makes mm-hmm. a really fun and deadly encounter because i mean like you're navigating the darkness you're navigating the trees your players are being picked up and dropped because i mean like a hunter like this is going to take advantage of if it can get aerial flight and drop you because it will cause you to break things and then you have less ability to fight back. So we talked about that's like that, an actual tactic that certain animals do. Uh, and I, I genuinely want to see people do that in their games. 
Yeah. It's a group of like you know ten manticore show up and just start picking people up, dropping them. And... Imagine if that just happened to you in like real life, <laughs> <laughs> just like <laughs> walking down the street, ten manticores. Um, actually, no. Wait, I do just want to point out one thing. I just because I really need you put this image in your mind. Um, the one on the left with like the human face, you know, it's really just kind of looks like it's in pain. That is the thing that people said was eating people. I just want you to imagine that face eating humans. Just just think about that for like longer than you should. Um, not the one on the right. You know, that looks obviously very like it's capable of eating humans. The other one is the human eating one. The one that looks like it pulls up to a table with all nine forks and spoons. Yes, yeah. right, yeah, yeah, just. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So just, just think Elbows about that. Elbows may not touch the table. <laughs> okay, last. But very not least is the scariest monster, which we've spent a lot of time on DMing notes for this thing. It is the Doolahan. So I love you all guy. know this I love headless him. horseman, Madison's favorite beast, right? Maybe I just love it because I I'm a, I like I like the anime. Uh, and I like the fact that there's an anime with the main character who's a Doolahan who then has to text to communicate the entire show. <laughs> Wait, that's actually that's very how, funny. How, 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 <laughs> hey, what are you saying? Well, you all you all know the headless horseman. Um, it's a classic love story. One Julie hand, a mafia a doctor. Mafia doctor. Classic love story. <laughs> um, you probably all know this from Ichabod Crane's story. Um, we Shh. do not love that man. We're not going to talk. We're not going to spend any more time on Ichabod no. Crane, loser. No, we're um, fine. No, we're fine. Nothing but happening. Doolahan. Love the Doolahan. So, what? Oh, goodness. This thing is going fast. So, what is this thing? This comes from Celtic folklore. Um, potentially from the ancient Celtic god, uh, also not pronounced Crom Dub. Right? So, we, we got that, right? Everything's pronounced differently than it's written. <laughs> Um, this translates roughly or loosely in English to the dark bent man. So just not something you'd ever, ever, ever want to run into on a good or a bad day. Um, desired human sacrifices, often in the form of beheading. Thence comes, you know, he's holding his head, not on his neck, but in his arm. Um, that's where that comes from. Uh, ironically, also a god of fertility. I'm not quite sure how that mixes in with this folklore, but it's in there. And then actually worshipped as an ancient god in Ireland up until the 6th century when the Christianization of Ireland occurred. What's interesting is that the belief in the Doolahan did not necessarily, like, die out. It has just become, like, a folkloric figure um, absolutely associated with Samhain, which you might know in this side of the states as Halloween. Um, it's just that people don't really do human sacrifices for it anymore, but we very much still believe that it's like a thing, they like part of the culture. mostly do that. Mostly. mostly. I've never seen the human sacrifice part. You know. uh, capitalism? Oh. 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 Andrew's going to argue oh. me that. that, that <laughs> yeah, look comment. at his face. So the E kind of wants to say. I have no comment <laughs> over this particular discussion. <laughs> so, okay, what is this thing capable of? Um, that whip is a human spine. Woo! So, jot that down. Um, I actually made a homebrew item when they beat the Doolahan. Really? That was a Doolahan whip and it was a human spine. Oh, I, we're not going to ask where he got it from. That's just that's just what it is. Spine Mart. Spine Mart. <laughs> Why was that so funny? Uh, 
<laughs> so what, what is this thing capable of with his head around his um, arm and his human spine whip? Um, so he's going around town on Hollow's Eve looking for those who are ready for death. I don't know what his, um, like, how he decides who's ready for death. I feel like it's just up to his discretion. Um, if you look at him for too long, he will steal your eyeballs Ooh. just right out your head. Um, like I said, human spine. His head still just works. Just like Kim Kardashian. What? Because <laughs> she takes spines. Eyeballs. Eye oh, eyeballs. <laughs> I thought she meant the spine. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why Yeezy turned into such a bitch. Listen, listen. <laughs> Fan theories are abounding up here. <laughs> so his head still works despite not being on his neck. So he holds it above him to look into the houses across the fields to see who's ready to die. Um, supernatural sight, if you will. Also, the best part of yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. The one guy on Davy Jones's crew who's like... Yeah, yeah. So I, my, my daughters just discovered those movies, and we had to watch the, all the original three. I refused to go to four or five. Oh. Uh, Isn't there a sixth one, though? It's coming. Oh, okay. <laughs> Gotta keep up. <laughs> Didn't know. Yeah. Um, luckily... It's better without Johnny Depp. Oh, okay. That's another... We're not going to talk about Johnny Depp here. Luckily, luckily, there is an, a way to get this man not to steal your eyeballs and to crack his human whip at you. If you have a little item of gold, he'll be okay. Which I think can mean anything. See, a I ring. said capitalism. I was right. Oh. <laughs> not amused. <laughs> so. Quick, make an offering to the system and I will not take your spine. <laughs> that You're really does sound wrong. like something that <laughs> Jeff Bezos might say. <laughs> I guess, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Why not? Why not? Thanks for believing in us on Earth. Well, so, if y'all ever go out at night on Halloween, just make sure you got a little gold, little ring, little necklace. Be safe out there. Have a decoy friend that you can give it its spine. Yeah, a decoy. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> so. Yeah, just, so just hold up, hold up, hold up. You don't want my spine. My spine. I'm a short guy. You don't want my spine. I got, I got my scoliosis. My six foot 12 not... friend over here? Yeah, you yeah. got that. Take, That's true. Take that <laughs> Sacrifice your tall friends to yeah. the duel of hand. <laughs> Short king stand up. Prime spine, guys. Prime spine. So, um, uh, Madison, any DM, yeah, no, I'm gonna do it. DM tips for a jewel of hand? So we spent a good 30 minutes Literally a good 30 minutes. Uh, an encounter. It was I, a devastating encounter. I am very ruthless as a DM, yeah. I'm not going to lie. Because I, I like my players to be creative. I like them to think outside the box. I like them to surprise Summer. me. Did you say suffer? I didn't say anything. I don't know what I'm talking about. I, just, I, I coughed. So, like, here's the only thing. Like, like, I do feel that way sometimes, but, like, we've been playing for three and a half years now, and, like, we're, we've all been friends. Like, we're good friends, our game. Yeah. Like, I do feel that way. I'm like, God, I'm making them suffer. What a jerk. And then I'm like, yeah, but they also brought me cookies last week. And the players come back like, more suffering. Woo! <laughs> They're coming That's when back you know you're every week. And sometimes bring me offerings. <laughs> Human sacrifice offerings, perhaps? Spines. I would Spines. like that. Uh, but yeah, so the Doolahan, we talked about uh, the D, and they show up in, uh, was it um, oh, Ravenloft? Ravenloft, yes. Uh, in the Ravenloft uh, book. And they talk about them in D&D, &D, it's very different. They are essentially an undead general. So we talked about a essentially a setup where you could have an army. We said possibly maybe like a graveyard. Having that where you have like skeletons and zombies coming out. Whole and then, undead army showed up. Uh, yeah. The Doolahan's really great because I don't know if anyone knows uh, a lot of the newer monsters after uh, post Fisbins. 
uh, they've added the entire thing of um, was it mythical options where yes. essentially it works like they have two HP bars kind of like you're playing a video game and when they drop one the second one pops back up and then you get a whole bunch of new abilities and actions and all that fun stuff so we oh, talked about the yes. doula hand the doula doing that it's a whole bunch of extra abilities it is mean it's, this it's thing, ridiculous this thing does instant KOs it rolls a nat 20 and whoever it hits is just dead and they have no head their head is gone uh, and then if it drops into its second health bar, it gets it like summons a bunch of flaming skulls that then give it advantage on attacks, paralyze your players, turning them into stone. Uh, there was another one it did. It did something else too. Oh, I do, I mean, you could probably just say it. Like I think you could it just think of it. Health, like, drains health. True. Probably, yeah, yeah, it's probably true. Uh, so this thing is brutal. It's brutal. Uh, my players had to fight one. I actually did our exact setup. Yes, after we did this DMing tips, she just like implemented it for her players like right away. <laughs> Uh, and as I said, their game is they're trapped in a video game, but they only one of them has figured it out so far. Mm-hmm. So the, the setup was they had to go fight. They were in like a ghost town. So essentially, you guys play, uh, you guys know MMOs, right? Of course we do, right? Yeah, okay. Essentially, it was the, you know, like the event of the month. <laughs> and so they showed up to a town where there was a ghost haunt, like an infestation of ghosts. And ghost items were being given away, like, you know, magical ghost cloth. Oh, so fun. uh, And so they're like, we need to turn this off. And they go into the attic of this haunted house. But the second they go into the attic, they were transported into, like, a graveyard. Mm -hmm. Right, they, like, went up the stairs and then, like, came out of the graveyard. (laughs) They came out of the graveyard. Uh, and then I did this, cause again, like you dropping hints, like we're talking this entire ghost town, they're like, they go to a bookstore and all the books have names on them, but there's nothing in them. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's a video yeah. game, thank you. <laughs> uh, they find rare loot, and then it turns out everyone else who's also here at this ghost event also has the exact same rare loot. How did that happen? <laughs> and they were like, wait, does everyone have the exact same flaming sword? And I was like, oh, I guess so. <laughs> So anyway, they go to the graveyard, and I had uh, they had convinced a few NPCs to join them, and I have all the graves turned to their characters' names. I'm giving so many hints here, like I'm really trying. And so they start reading the NPCs' names on the tombstones, the people that have joined them, and one of them is like North by Northwest. Uh, The other one is like (laughs) the other one is Brainmush ninety seven, Bunny underscore Hunter. Macho man, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, those are just normal names. Yeah, those are normal people names. I was trying to think. Uh, so there's a there's a anime called Lock Horizon that does the whole like video game trapped arc, uh, and one of the main characters' name is actually Krusty after The Simpsons, and because they, they like played really heavily into that joke, they're like, well, yeah, and MMO players are like really dumb about their names sometimes. And they did it. So like and I kept dropping hints like that, and they were like, "Okay, that's weird." <laughs> anyway, here's a dual hand for you. Uh, <laughs> did it you did... have something you wanted to say? Uh, oh, oh, we got a question. Uh, she was yeah, go ahead. Sorry. A, a dual hand event. I'm also a DM. Yeah. I wanted to share the one that I had. Do it. Oh, go yes. for it. Um, so I had a group of friends who had reached a town. They discovered an underground fighting ring. Fight club. Uh-huh. Was there soap bars? Was there like the bar of soap? No, there were no soap bars, unfortunately. But what I did was I had the barbarian of the group wanted to participate. So I said, okay, we'll make this interesting. Go ahead and roll to see who your opponent was. He rolled a doula hand. And then I had another friend. It was so perfect because it was also going to roll what kind of arena they were in. 
It was a steel cage match. For me, the door head can't die unless the head is destroyed. And so I have oh, it. The head is at the top of the arena, kind of like oh, the that's mean. Yes. That's mean. Yes. That's mean, even for me. Wait, this is so fun. <laughs> Oh my gosh. The body comes back, yeah. right? Oh. So, oh. That fight took about four hours. Oh, oh my <laughs> gosh. So here's the other thing, oh. real quick about these video game campaigns. Uh, I told them that they were not allowed to write backstories, which upset one of my friends. And like, we're, again, like we're all, we are really good friends, we're but friends, like, I felt so bad. Yeah. She looked, when she came to the session zero and I said that to her, she looked at me like I had killed her puppy. Distraught. And I felt so bad. She's like, I've already written three pages. And I was like, I know, I'm sorry. I, anytime they die in the game, I have it be like a memory flashback. So just a little bit uh, where they get to learn a little bit about their actual like life. But I describe things in a way that they don't, they're like, what? So one of them is playing a 98-year-old uh, grandma. That, that's, that's the character he's playing. Uh, who is a baker who sells baked goods. Uh, he, that's their cleric. I love her. She's great. Sounds like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> uh, but I have decided the actual person playing the game is a 15-year-old girl because uh, he keeps describing his... his uh, he keeps saying, well, well, like I know she had a wife at some point. There's some pictures. There's a wedding ring. And I'm like, well, she just didn't log in that day, clearly. <laughs> the day that everyone got trapped here, she just didn't log in. Uh, so every time I've been like revealing it, so the Doolahan did one shot our, the cleric and just took the head. Uh, and so when I gave him back memories, I had to describe fruit by the fruit roll-ups in a nondescript way. <laughs> oh wait, I remember this. <laughs> I was like, you're on a picnic on a hill. And I started describing it, and I remember he looked right at me and goes, did I just eat a fruit roll-up? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, when you guys check this out, uh, don't spoil the story, because that's kind of also... I, I have forbid any of them from listening to Ben's Ben and mine show. I'm like, you guys are not allowed. Uh, one Same. of them just figured out, though, was, I'm curious to see what's going to happen now. But yeah, it's been stuff like that. But the Doolahan was great. It did kill four people. Yeah, as thing it should. Is, the thing is nasty, so just nasty. be aware if you use it, like, the one-shotting is gross. Especially if you're in a steel cage. <laughs>